This is episode 20 of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, Nodals. Store number eight. The fall of the mall rats. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. And welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by Jose Chan. Hi, everyone. Jose, are you a uh, are you a know it all when you go shopping? I wish I could uh, say no, but I think because I've been in the industry so long, I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe it's not knowing everything about retail, but maybe it's just walking into a store with a little little extra sass, and uh, maybe you have higher expectations of what you know, retail store associates should provide you when you walk into a store, or maybe they don't match with any perception of what you should be presented with when you walk in the store. Curious, because there is an article uh, from Retail Dive, and this survey, this survey that was conducted by Tulip Retail, says that 83% of shoppers believe they're more knowledgeable than retail store associates. Although 90, 79% say they're being able to engage with knowledgeable store associates is important or very important. So, what do you think of that? That makes sense. Look, to a certain extent, if you think about it, um, anytime any one of us walks into a store, if you think of what's going on behind the scenes, mm. store sales associates generally, and it varies obviously by retailer, so I mean, it, it takes this with a grain of salt, there's high turnover in with retail sales associates so at the store level which means that yeah they, they may not be as knowledgeable as one would like them to be and especially if it's you or i or anyone else listening to this podcast walking into their favorite store to buy whatever it is that they normally would buy whether it's let's say some, at a grocery store whether it's a retail store apparel uh, you kind of know your stuff sometimes better than the store associates unless the store associates been it with a company for you know a, a little while uh she or he may know those products inside and out and be able to tell you right and it's that fine line of approaching someone you know you know say you've got an ipad in your hand and you're a store associate and you're ready to roll someone walks in and you pounce and if that someone is anyone like me i don't want to be pounced on when i walk in the door you know, however, there is that time of just kind of roaming around and then you kind of get a feel of what they're looking, looking at. Maybe you can eyeball them to get their size. Maybe you can use whatever tool at your fingertips, which most of them don't have. <clears throat> right. I mean, most of them are standing yeah. there or organizing the shelves or, you know, checking people um, out through the through the through the checkout process. And you don't see much of them doing more than, you know maybe looking at the areas that you're looking and saying, oh yeah, you're looking for a different color or I mean, how much, I mean, how much knowledge is really required, I guess, in that case, you know, or is it more of the way that they communicate with you or, um, and that's the thing about this survey is like really knowledgeable. Like what are they, what, what are people walking into here? I mean, you know, sure. They need to be knowledgeable of, of the styles, the sizes, what they have in the back. Right. So maybe it's that, maybe it's the, maybe it's the knowledge of actual data, like actual inventory information. Or um, maybe even profile information of people that come into the uh, store frequently enough. But I know that when I go into a store, like say Banana Republic, 
they may recognize me. They may, you know, say, oh, he's been in here before if it's someone that works there a lot, but most likely not going to remember much about me, right? So what is it? Like you walk in and you get, you know, retina scanned and this defines who you are and then you <laughs> move on to your, you know, then they, know, then they know your sizes and they know your likes and dislikes, but that doesn't exist yet. So sure. I'm curious as to what, what do you think this is here when they say, you know, shoppers want more or they, they believe they're more knowledgeable than retail store associates. I mean, that's kind of a backhanded insult. It is. I would agree that it is a backhanded insult. And I think that it's very vague as to what that really does mean in this particular survey, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about what the fundamental job is for a retail sales associate is to create the, let's say, experience uh, overall strategically that, that it's positive for you uh, and me as we walk into a store. And if they can't do that, then you're going to leave with kind of a let's say, checkered view of that particular experience, right? So it, it's tough to say. Is it inventory? Well, they, they, they have tools for that, potentially, if they, they use, let's say, a, a, an app. They should be able to do that. Um, but I, I think it, it maybe I would interpret this as saying, maybe they don't know the products as well, right? Yeah. Or just... So I'll tell you where I do find good service, and you tell me... Um, maybe you've had the same experience, um, similar experience, but for example, walking into Whole Foods, I have always, I have to say, had a positive experience and not just one Whole Foods, but let's say I've walked into at least five different Whole Foods in five different states where I've been looking for something and I've had the same experience because obviously it's scripted on their end mm -hmm. where I'll ask anyone uh, who might be, uh, let's say, putting products on a shelf uh, and not in the same department, right? And if I, I say, do you know, do you have these, what, what this brand of, let's say, cookies? Right. Um, they'll say, ah, and it's probably an obscure brand, right? Yeah. Um, which some, is why I'm asking. Gluten free brand in the, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so they'll say, uh, hold on a second. And what they'll do is they'll stop shelving or doing whatever they're doing and they'll actually walk me to the area where that product should be if it was purchased mm -hmm. by them. And they'll help me look for it. And even if they don't have it, they're like, oh, uh, let me check in the back uh, and just make sure that it's not out of stock in case it's not on here. And they'll come back and right. they'll actually be helpful. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's almost um, being knowledgeable of from a food perspective or from a dietary perspective. And that's what Whole Foods seems to really, you know, brand itself on is being sensitive to various lifestyles and eating behaviors and habits and, you know, diet, strict diets or food allergies or, you know, things like they're very good about that. <clears throat> I've had the same experiences, um, you know, for various reasons. I've had to shop there for, for different at different times in my life for various things for whether it's for my kids or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And they've been, yeah, they've been very good about that. And they're always, they're right. They are very knowledgeable. And maybe that, that's one angle of, of defining knowledge, you know, in that case for them, it is, it's, also, it's almost like they know, they know what you're looking for. They know exactly where it is. And they also might know of an alternative for you. Um, you know, when it comes down to the, the type of food it is or the ingredients in it or what you can and can't have. So yeah, I totally agree there. Maybe there's a little bit more of a science mixed in, in, in terms of how they 
how they train their employees for them sure. to understand more about diets, to know more about, you know, food types and sensitivities. And mm-hmm. of course, the blend of things and the locations in the stores and, you know, all of that. So maybe there is a little bit more to it there because we always tend to gravitate towards clothes in this podcast. But I think, uh, you know, that, yeah, that grocery angle is is definitely unique. Now, you can't say the same for a, you know, a stop and shop or something like that, right? No. You walk in there yeah. and you feel like you're, you know, most of the employees are zombified in some way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. So yeah, we're in complete agreement about that. And <clears throat> if I read this article with that in mind, um, I, don't, I don't know how I'd feel, to be honest, because uh, I think there's people that walk into those kinds of stores that know exactly what they want and they zip right through and that's that. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as having you know, something in their hands from a technology perspective or something that would help them be better. Uh, maybe from a Whole Foods perspective, they would have a, yeah, they, they could have some kind of an app or whatever that shows uh, any kind of inventory or location changes or, you know, new food types that are coming in the next day or something like that. Because it's a, bit of a, bit, a little bit more of a high traffic, you know, turn of activity sure. at, at grocery, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, you're right. And And look, you could also take this, uh, a little bit further, uh, let's say, and think of it as Whole Foods being a specialty retailer. So if we want to apply this into, let's say, the apparel realm, uh, one could say, look, uh, Whole Foods and Stop and Shops are both part of the same, let's say, segment of grocery retailers, right? But they're just a different spectrum. So one's more specialized than the other. And so you you would think that because one is more specialized than the other, you'll have better service uh, in this particular instance, right, which is Whole Foods. So in apparel, it's not that different because then you could say maybe mm-hmm. you could make the analogy that Stop and Shop is more like a, let's say, large department store. And mm-hmm. maybe Whole Foods is more like a specialty boutique, right, where maybe um, – Let's let's think of uh, something like a specialty boutique, like I don't know, uh, perhaps uh, let's go to luxury. Let, let's think something like uh, Chanel. It's more like Chanel in that right. you'll get the service because it's about the not only are you paying a premium, but also <clears throat> it's specialized enough where there's a history. So there you start getting into the same concept, well, but it's yeah, more historical. Totally agree. And and th- there's another good example that I have from my own experience is going into Warby Parker, a Warby Parker mm, store. Sure. Um, that's very specialized. It's um, uh, for me, for me going in, not knowing anything about glasses, uh, you know, 43 and I never had glasses in my life. However, you know, I'm at that point now where I'm like, you know, this could really help from, you know, when I'm staring at a screen or if I'm looking at my phone or things just don't seem as clear and crisp anymore. So going in there with that, with that kind of concern, uh, was handled very well by the associates there. And, and of course they've got the optometrist that they pair up with the store. It's kind of brilliant in that way. And they make everything so one-stop shop. However, it's extremely personalized. You walk in, it's a very small store. There's, you know, all of their, their glasses and they've got a whole bunch. Um, I would say they have five people, in a, it's probably like a 20 by 30, uh, store in Boston, at least it's pretty small, but you know, there's definitely attention that's taking place and they know their stuff. Like there's, there's no question about it. So yeah, I would say that there is a big difference between the higher, uh, the higher end stores, the boutique, the vertical type places, mm-hmm. uh, sure. retailers, um, compared to those that are, yes, more like a Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom or something like that. 
a sure. department store ish. Maybe it's harder. Expectations change too. Right? Yeah, I, I fully agree, and I think it, it's not about necessarily. It never has to be about price, and I think often mm-hmm. it's been, oh, because you're paying so much more. Uh, could be car dealerships, right? Uh, they're they're going to be so much more knowledgeable, but I don't think that that is necessarily uh, the way to think about this problem. It's more about, well, look, it's something that should be standardized in any environment because nobody ever walks into a store, uh, regardless of where they, what product it is, whether it's, uh, let's say, home improvement store, department store, and say, I just want a bad experience. Everybody wants to walk in there and know that whatever happens, whether they have the product or not, hopefully they'll have the product that you're looking for, um, you're gonna walk out with a positive experience and at least retailers, um, retail executives should be thinking of it this way because consumers talk, right? You, you, you'll, like now, we're, we're sharing stories about positive experiences, but I'm sure uh, at the same time, uh, not that we'll do this, we could also share stories of negative experiences and that mm-hmm. doesn't help either. Totally. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's move on to store number eight. Um, second topic. The store number eight we've got here is another Walmart, um, another Walmart effort here. And this is their, their startup incubator, retail startup incubator, specifically for e-commerce technologies. And they're going to invest in technologies, quote unquote, that um, are cutting edge. Uh, and they're designed to nurture and accelerate these startups to market. Um, including things like drone delivery, personalized shopping, and virtual reality. So Walmart's been busy. I mean, they've, after the Jet.com acquisition, <clears throat> excuse me, they picked up a couple other places, a few other places like Moose Jaw, Mod Cloth, and Shubai recently. So they have been very busy. And um, I'm curious to get your take on this, Jose, as to what is this for them? Like, this seems to be, to me, just looking at it from the outside, you know, it, it looks like a a way for them to kind of get their tentacles out into other areas, um, move a little bit beyond just the Walmart of old, uh, you know, and, you know, we saw that back and forth between Walmart and Jet before that acquisition, meaning um, uh, I think the stress that Jet was putting on them and maybe even vice versa sure. uh, to be more flexible from a, an e-com perspective. So what do you think is happening here with this, this, this startup incubator program they have called Store Number 8? It's it's a really good question, Todd. I think look, they're they're trying to stay relevant in a changing retail landscape, right? Mm-hmm. We, we we know and we read this uh, all the time. You and I and everyone else listening to the podcast stories daily and what's happening in retail and it's changing many different ways. Um, but I think what they're trying to do is you said and you pointed this out right before um, we started the podcast, it's, you you said, look, they're diversifying. And I think I fully agree. They are trying to, uh, use this as a separate, uh, corporate venture arm, right. In order to kind of get fresh ideas as well as fresh customers, meaning millennials into their stores or into their sales channels to stay relevant. Right. And I think we've seen this with other retailers. So prior to, um, the acquisition, there were innovation, while well, they still have an innovation lab, I'm not sure where that stands with Walmart, um, given uh, recent the, the acquisition and the emphasis on the acquisition of Jet.com and, and this particular initiative. But retailers had been starting incubators. You had Target working with Techstars. Um, you had Nordstrom with its own innovation lab 
which was uh, somewhat downsized, right? Because they, they, they just have to focus on the core business. And I think we've mentioned this in, in prior uh, podcasts months ago, uh, Nordstrom particularly. And so it, it's just that. It's trying to figure out what the right key is in order to survive now and not just now, but in the future. As um, the uh, Mark Lord, the president and CEO in Walmart said, right? Because he announced this um, at shop talk um he said and i quote startups uh that have a responsibility have a responsibility to change the course of retail the focus is not just on today think bigger mm-hmm. well uh it sounds very amazon to me in the sense of you know they're both coming from different angles right so amazon's mm-hmm. coming from the the e-com side they've mastered that and they're moving onward and upward to brick and mortar to, mm-hmm. in a way um, <clears throat> while still, you know, making their own share of acquisitions and technology experiments and things like that. But Walmart's coming from the other side, um, the brick and mortar side, expanding their footprint, um, on the e-com side. So it's interesting to see them that, the, you know, the t- two giants of retail kind of, they're going to meet up soon in some fashion, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Walmart is the only retailer at this point in time that is, uh, close to Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, right? The two, those are the two main players coming at, at it from different angles. And as we've said, you know, Amazon is certainly going into the physical realm. I mean, they opened up their 10th store uh, for their bookstores. Um, one of the many stories that we often hear about Amazon. Uh, in December, we heard about Amazon Go. So mm-hmm. it's almost the um, fait accompli that they will go into the brick and mortar realm. It's just a function of how quickly, uh, what locations, and look, they could leverage their DCs easily. Something we don't often talk about, but with the number of DCs that they've opened. Are you talking about Amazon or Walmart? Amazon. Okay. Amazon. They could easily service these other businesses as needed, right? Because it's just a DC. Uh, Granted, there's a lot of logistics behind it, a lot of planning, but- with as many DCs as they have, uh, I'm not sure of the actual number, so I don't want to misspeak, but it, it's couple, uh, it's quite a few. They've got a the fair US. amount. I think they, they seem to open a handful, meaning anywhere, anywhere from one to five of them or so, um, every quarter, it seems like. So, mm-hmm. um, I know they have a higher, a very high concentration in the Midwest of DCs and they opened, I think three more in the past couple months. Um, around there. So they keep expanding their footprint with the DCs because that's their, yeah, that's their closer they get to um, to their customers, the better in that case, obviously. Exactly. So, <laughs> so consider that, right, data point along with if they're going to open up new physical stores, yep. you could easily <laughs> integrate and game over, right, for yep. whatever business you're in. Yep. For sure. And uh, from here in Boston, they just launched, I think, this week, uh, the one hour delivery. So for, I don't know which items I immediately went on, <clears throat> went on to Amazon and looked around and didn't see any items that were one hour delivery, but I'm sure it's a handful at this point, but this is, yeah, this is part of their, this is part of their, uh, their means of, again, reaching out and uh, getting closer to the customer. And that's, that's awesome. And of course yeah. we end up talking about Amazon because of me, um, when we're t- supposed to be talking about Walmart. whatever (laughs) given up at this point i think amazon just infiltrates itself into every one of our conversations in one way or another (laughs) it's 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 just we can't get away from it it's fine though yeah but 
let's that's it's totally fine i mean but but let's think about this right how can retailers compete other than using let's say uh solutions if we go back to the other segment that we talked about uh it's the experience right i mean if a positive experience is produced then amazon kind of loses some of its allure Right. So and retailers like, are trying to get there. Right. They are, you know, not even just the Walmarts. I mean, even the specialty retailers, you know, any retailer with a storefront is looking at ways they can use. I mean, this has been around for a while, but they're trying to fine tune ways they can use their stores to uh, to get closer to their customers. So that means not just having customers come in, but also um, really use their stores to help <clears throat> uh, fulfill those orders that are online, use them as DCs in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, there is there's going to be a complete shift. It's I, I would guess in the next year or two where um, suddenly these stores become like Amazon in their own way. And then suddenly this this, you know, one day delivery from Prime is not as big of a deal anymore, um, you know, where you don't have to worry about placing an order through uh, Adidas or something and then having it take a week because you know, they just some you know, whoever it is, not even Adidas, anybody, any any specialty retailer, or just they just classically take a week or you know multiple days to get to you. Um, that's going to change completely. It's got to. So otherwise, they're just not going to make it, right? Sure, you're right, <laughs> and that's strange, right? If you think about it, it's strange to think about it because in in my particular case, right? So if I were, and I'm sure the same thing happens to you, yeah. if you get so used to getting and it's normalized to get your package in two days that anytime you order anything else from any given retailer, right? And it takes a reasonable amount of time, let's say five to six days. It's like, wow. Yeah. That took a long time. Exactly. <clears throat> totally. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's completely unexpected in that case. So, and, uh, and it goes back yeah, to customer expectations and their, the experience, they're a fickle bunch and that's not going to change. So, <laughs> oh man. All right. Topic three, section three, um, the fall of the mall rats. What we got going on here. We've got some mall issues. We've got the, 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 the biggest thing. Well, mall rats, by the way, is one of my favorite movies from the, uh, from the nineties. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily, that was a good movie. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it just, it, it shows how, you know, at that time, what teens to early twenties people would spend a lot of time in malls and, you know, loitering and just not buying things, but that's a whole nother <laughs> issue and doing loitering. whatever else. And, uh, and, but this, this essentially this, this study from, um, uh, from, from fun global retail technology was saying, and we'll link this in the show notes. so Everyone can take a look at it. It's just, you have to give your email and, and there's a nice big, uh, executive summary that's on the page. So it's lots of good data in there. Um, the gist of it is that malls have already hit their heyday. Uh, traffic is, declining in malls however not everyone is doing horribly in malls and not all malls are doing horribly in general so um i'll let you kind of pick where to start with this one jose because there's so many there's so many pieces of data points we could call out about this but um no shock to anybody right no yeah you're you, <laughs> i i would agree that there probably wouldn't be a shock <laughs> to anyone <laughs> it's look it, it's simply about I guess the word here is oversaturation, right? There's just too much space for too much stuff. And this is nothing new. I mean, we've known this. Uh, I remember, and I'm going to obviously date myself, but that's okay. Uh, I remember sitting in 
a college class undergrad where um, in this entrepreneurship class, it wasn't a retail class, it was just a general entrepreneurship class, there was a topic that we hit on and it happened to be real estate. And it talked about, even then, uh, so I'm going back to late 80s, early 90s, um, talking about an oversaturation of, let's say, retail space, obviously, via malls. Mm -hmm. And so it's nothing new. And we've known this. It's just that what's happened is it's become more of an acute problem because, obviously, retailers are in a pinch right now. And given the store closures, the bankruptcies, pending bankruptcies, and everything else that's going on as we speak, uh, let's say the shopping malls have <laughs> to figure out what to do and yeah. how to perhaps think about what a standard model was for them that's being disrupted is really the issue. It's interesting. So the, with as part of this, I, I want to kind of review this timeline here because I've been like staring at it and it's... I didn't realize malls have been op have been around for this long, but um, so as part of the study, uh, Fung includes a mall history timeline. So it's really kind of cool. So let's let's go back in time here. Nineteen um, fifties. In the first the first mall, Northgate. This must be the first mall of any of any size or substance. Um, opened in Seattle. Uh, the first two level mall in the nineteen fifties opened up here in the Boston area in Framingham and Shoppers World. Uh, and then in the 60s, strip malls became popular for, it's when suburbia kind of blew up <clears throat> to facilitate the, the, you know, suburban development after World War II. Um, in the 70s, the number of actual shopping malls in existence doubled. And here in Boston, Faneuil Hall uh, was developed. In the 80s, the mega mall came around. So that's, you know, all those big old malls. Like there's one in Minnesota, I think it is, right? Um... So yeah. shopping became a thing, right? Where you actually go and stroll around in a mall on the weekend. Um, teen spending jumped by 42%. Food courts became a thing. Oh, the 80s. Uh, <laughs> 90s, malls reached their popularity, their peak. So the outlets became popular. Retail outlets became popular. So the, those storefronts with the, with all of the great prices that we love. Um, and then, of course, online purchasing started to become a thing in the 90s. And, uh, and security became an issue there. And then in the 2000s, Apple came around and opened its full s first store, uh, followed by about 26 others in the same year. And it just so happens, um, unrelated to that, but in the, in the 2000s, um, the percentage of 17-year-olds who rarely or never visit a mall rose from 19% in 2003 to 29% in 2009. So... There is a big, a big shift in that kind. Of, if you think, if you see that 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 curve going upwards from the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, peaking in the nineties, and then dropping right off in the two thousands. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting decline, that's for sure. Well, I think it was. If you think of the mobile, I mean, mobile is kind of like our mall. Mm -hmm. you, you don't ever have to leave your couch for that fact to go anywhere in the world to shop and experience and see. Uh, and you know, it, it's I, I would, like every everything, right? Things become stale uh, or have stigmas, right? So a lot of times, uh, the th quickest thing I could think of is like think of a sibling that is uh, older, uh, or your parents, even better. 
sometimes we won't use the same products our parents did, or sometimes we do. It depends on what it is. But generally, if it's apparel, we don't want to wear apparel that our parents wore. Same thing with shopping habits. We don't want to do things that other people did, and malls are not necessarily. It, for us, we have. I guess we were we grew up in the golden age of malls, Todd. So we have we that that memory of it. But if that memory was never even created, or a mall was a place that you're dragged to rather than somewhere you're going to go and hang out and meet your friends, mm-hmm. different story, different perception. There's no reason to go there. Well, I mean, apparently there's still traffic there. You know, there is traffic. There are there is definitely traffic in malls. Maybe not purchasing traffic. Uh, however, there's you know we mentioned at the end of that Apple, and there's other brands that are blooming in their own way, like Tesla. Um, they're opening storefronts. They're locating stores near malls or in malls. Um, there's like mall, malls are, are this kind of, it's this hub and spoke type thing. It's like where there's a mall, there's maybe within a half mile, there's tons of other retailers and they may not be in the mall, but there's plenty of other things going on around there. So there's still this, like this, I don't know, maybe a centrifuge or something like that in the sense that everything kind of spins around it in a way. But, um, the that over that that massive mall where you'd walk in and be slammed in the face with brands and choices and you know um oversaturated with things to buy people don't want that anymore it it goes everything ties back to um you know when given too much of a, of a choice you kind of freeze you know mm-hmm. you you don't buy anything you don't execute on whatever it is you know you and that's really what it is. And it's uh, people are a little bit more uh, maybe finicky in terms of what they're looking for. Maybe if they go there to a specific store and they know what they want, they're good to go. But it seems like the way people people buy, maybe it is due to e-commerce and maybe maybe having that freedom of being able to go to exactly where you want, when you want. Um, that's changed our mentality a little bit. I don't really know. But mm-hmm. it's very interesting. I think it has changed our mentality. Although, to, to add to what you're saying, look, the mall is not dead uh it's very much still a place where businesses transacted especially for retail and many other businesses it's just different we're just on it's just i guess strange for us because we're we're witnessing the change uh right now and when you're witnessing these things when you're used to another let's say paradigm and the paradigm shifts it's like wow it's they're falling apart but to your point no look uh apple could be an anchor store. It used to be the, the department store. Generally, there's always generally that the model was there was always a department store that was an anchor. It could mm-hmm. have been That's right. a Macy's, a Penny's, Nordstrom, depending on the type of mall, uh, location, etc. Um, and some of those have gone away because of store closures. So if you have an Apple, that's a great anchor store, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody, not everybody, many people will go in to purchase some sort of Apple product. Yeah, that's a good point. The draw is different than it was. You're right completely right and that's that's very interesting um so it's drawing maybe a different type of people there too so uh the malls would need to change then and they also what's interesting about this report is that they rank these malls into a b c and d uh classifications i never thought of it that way i always thought of you know really nice malls or really crappy malls um but i guess they've (laughs) they've ranked it out into four bits of uh looking at how much um the productivity of each one and uh they, uh, they meaning Fun Global recommends that 30% or so of malls should be closed uh, within the C and D classifications because they're just not being productive anymore. They're mm. just, you know, four walls uh, of 
of stuff, of inventory, and meaning it's not being productive for the retailers. So it's dragging down those retailers. Um, so and that that's very interesting. And there's a, there's the A and B ones <clears throat> that account for only 20% of all malls, the A and B properties. I'm sorry, the A properties account for only 20% of all malls, yet represent 72 of total mall sales, 72% of total mall sales. So that 72% is just from those A properties. So it just shows you the the drop off uh, after after those 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 a those a quality malls those a classified malls of the productivity of the other malls so those are definitely a an anchor weight to those uh, retailers that are in those lower performing malls mm -hmm. and it goes in in line with what we said about retail right so as retailers uh, if we look at some of the articles that we've discussed over these past few months as retailers are downsizing let's say their stores because they're deliberately closing stores uh it ties into the c and d classifications, right? It's underperforming stores, which means probably the ones I'm referring to are essentially the anchor stores uh, are closing. So that means that they're probably closing because it was a CD location to begin with, which means that once that anchor store is gone, the reason changes to go there, if there is a reason to go there, mm -hmm. because it's not being productive. So it, it's all part of the same, it, it, it's one piece of the puzzle <laughs> yeah. that that's all interrelated. It is. It is, so we will see how these malls do. Keep our eyes peeled on them. See if uh, see if we get some unique brands like Tesla and Apple, if they, or, or even others, whether it's Microsoft or Samsung, any of these other technology. It's And by the way, these the shift we've seen has gone from, yes, that department store to more technology stores. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. No, no. But, well, that, that goes in line with, with the shift that we've seen in spending, right? So if let, let's think of the generational shift. We, we always talk about millennials, but look, um, what do we know um, that's almost normalized at this point? We, we know that they're spending more on experiences. Um, they're spending on tech. Th those are among the top, uh, let's say, things that they spend on. So if it's tech, it would be natural for a mall to appeal to, let's say, the another big chunk of the population millennials to, to have tech in there um that that would be a natural right uh sure. the, the experience piece harder to let's say harness into something more tangible you could take that many ways but the tech is is just like a like a given you just kind of have to do it agreed so more it's more tech inclined mall rats now so good for them <laughs> they still exist <laughs> I lied. There's no fall of the mall rats. It's it's they'll be there. They're, they live through anything, right? <laughs> well, Jose, hey, that's a show, man. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. And if you have a second, give us a review on iTunes. It helps from an exposure perspective. We'd love that. Um, Google Play Music and Stitcher. And any of your favorite podcast apps. And until next time, take care, everyone. And we'll see you in a week or two. Bye, everyone. Bye.